I'm always moved by our time of prayer together. Thank you for being a people who can be authentic with each other and share vulnerably with each other. Maybe it's because I see behind so much of the curtain on what happens on a Sunday morning in the planning that this is the point that I haven't seen. I don't know what y'all are going to bring. And it, and it always moves me. So thank you for being a community that um, holds each other this way. <clears throat> I said about six weeks ago at the beginning of Peace Month that we were going to do Peace Month Plus. And I, um, I said, you know, this is one of those weird things that we do it every year and you start to wonder, should we do this every year? Is this really, you know, like, haven't we said everything there is to say about this? And uh, <clears throat> the answer is no, we haven't. Or maybe we have, but we need to hear it again. And one of the things that I found interesting is doing this extended uh, time and thinking about peace as a focus is that it pushes us more deeply into it. That we, that, you know, we can't just do the five weeks that we know. There's, there's extra weeks that are happening. We're saying, well, what are we going to talk about? What, what more is there to say? And I've been grateful for that. Cole reminded us last week that our inner peace matters a lot, too. Both through his words and his references to Thomas Kelly, that uh, we're meant to dwell in God's presence and be in God's peace all the time. And it's often our own choices that distract us from that, that we don't uh, have the discipline or make the practice of being attentive to God's presence with us. And it's through that inner peace, through that connectedness, that we become what God has designed us to be. That we don't, we're not those things as fully as we need to be unless we're sort of in that centered place. And that reminded me of these words from Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. Like a city on a mountain glowing in the night for all to see. Don't hide your light under a basket. Instead, put it on a stand and let it shine for all. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. And it was the first part of that that kind of caught me with Peace Month, like be the light of the world. And maybe you all feel that kind of pull too, like the importance of working for good, of working for peace, of working for justice. And part of what hit me as I read this verse this week was the last bit. There's a so that tucked in there. And we've talked about that a little bit in the past, that if you, when you're reading scripture and you see a so that, pay attention because that's this transition point. This means something. So that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. That seems like a pretty important so that. Not so that your light will fix all the darkness that's in the world, but so that people will notice God. So that people will be drawn to that center that makes peace in us, that makes peace among us. We draw folks to their own inner peace by directing them towards God. At the beginning of the Peace series, part of what uh, we had talked about as a team is the idea of who are some Quaker heroes? Who are some people in the Quaker faith tradition who have lived such lives that it draws us to peace, or in this case, that draws us to faithfulness to what God's doing? And one of those people that is not so often noticed is a, is a man named Joseph Lister. He's not well known as a Quaker spiritual leader because he wasn't one. 
But he grew up Quaker, and his Quaker values are part of what really strongly direct his life. Joseph ends up in love with an Anglican girl, which is kind of a no-no if you're a 19th century British Quaker. You should not marry people in the Church of England, but he does. And although he's been trained uh, as a doctor and as a surgeon, he begins to wonder seriously if he ought to become an Anglican priest. Um, This seems to maybe be a calling on his heart and his life, and he goes to talk to his Quaker dad. And his dad says, you know, Joseph, I think you'll serve God better as a surgeon than you will as a priest. And that's sort of a Quaker thing to say, that you might you know, do better not being a priest. Um, and there might be a little bit of that in there. On the other hand, Joseph's dad turns out to be right. Because uh, Joseph Lister is the person who discovers antiseptic in surgery. In surgery, so at that point, uh, we didn't know medically like what's going on with people with germs and and so forth. And so, most surgeries, it wasn't the big deal that they were taking the part of your body out. Like that was okay, but a lot of people died of gangrene. Like there was this other associated disease. And so, Joseph Lister ends up being the person who kind of does the work to figure out. Oh, there's this, you know, uh, all the kind of um, biological stuff that causes infection and comes up with a way to solve that. And so this ends up being a huge, like huge impact in the medical field and still, and still is. I mean, 170 years later, we're still aware of this and getting better at this. You might know Joseph Lister mostly because of the product Listerine, which is named after him. Lister's uh, example is an example of being faithful And the way that faithfulness in what we're passionate and good at, what we care about, makes a difference in people's lives. God works through our personal gifts and passions. One of the things that we've noticed as we've been thinking about this series is that the problem of looking through history for heroes is that we mostly find extraordinary people. You don't find a lot of ordinary people who make history. And even Joseph Lister is an extraordinary person. It's an example of him following his personal passion and his personal gifts, but he's notable. Most of us are not particularly notable. And maybe there's actually a real gift in that. Maya Angelou makes this really salient observation. I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did but people will never forget how you made them feel. And maybe it's more important that we're contributing to the emotional well-being of the people around us than it is that we make history. Maybe we bring more light and peace to the people around us and into the world through our interpersonal relationships than by our heroic actions. I was reminded of this quote which I'd read on a lot of bumper stickers, but had not really ever looked into, by a woman named Laurel Thatcher Ulrich. Well-behaved women seldom make history. Maybe you've run across it. Turns out that Laurel Thatcher Ulrich uh, is not just a bumper sticker writer. She's a a professor emeritus at Harvard, um, has won the Pulitzer Prize, and uh, I'm sure this is not her most favorite thing that, uh, that what she's maybe best known for is writing this statement. It's a true statement, and the way that we have taken it over time is to say, well, women should be less well-behaved so that you're more historical. 
And not that Professor Ulrich uh, necessarily disagrees with that assumption, but that's not what she was trying to say. So what this is taken from is a book that she wrote about uh, the Puritan women in uh, the New England colonies in the 17th century. And her point was, these were, by almost anybody's standards, really well-behaved women. But they were the people who sustained the life of the colony. They were the people that made sure people got fed and clothed and that babies were born and that homes worked and that children were parented. These were people who were not doing anything extraordinary and yet their work was really important and they're seldom remembered. They're not the people that we talk about. And so her point was not be less well behaved, but that we ought to do a better job of paying attention to the good work people are doing to sustain each other. When we believe that we have to be notable, or at least that our actions or achievements need to be historically remarkable, if we believe those things to be the things that make us have validity, we're at risk of denying ourselves. We're at risk of denying ourselves the joy of true faithfulness and the importance of our ordinary lives and the ordinary goodness that love and care for our neighbors create. This is a picture of my friend Aaron. He didn't look like this when I knew him in the 80s. Uh, he and his wife, Laura, uh, lived in our home. My, uh, my dad was a professor at a college in, in Wichita, Kansas, and one of the things that we did with some frequency was have uh, young married folks or students live. We had a, in Kansas, you can get you know, a huge house for about you know, $100 or something. Um, probably, especially in the 80s, that was true. Uh, so Aaron and Laura lived with us, I don't know, for two or three years, and kind of played this role of sort of uh, elder siblings slash uncles slash friends. Aaron gave me my first guitar, and it was a terrible instrument, and he didn't tell me I needed to restring it, so it progressively got harder to play. But uh, I, he encouraged me in a way that I, that's probably beyond what I know. It was simple. It was simple. He cared for me. He, he listened to me, and he encouraged me musically. His job now is he goes and sings to kids at local schools. Goes around and break, takes his, um, his uh, service animals with him and, and tries to support uh, young people uh, and, and help them enter into the idea of communal singing. And he does a lot of work in organizing song circles, encouraging musicians, um, joining together in resonance and song. If I'm honest, he's probably in the top 10 influential people in my life. This is another friend to many of us, Mary Kyle. And I, I discovered uh, a couple weeks back when I made a joke at Mary's expense on Facebook that there's a lot of people who love Mary Kyle, <laughs> including me. Mary uh, works at Twin Rocks and has for, I think, almost 30 years now. Uh, and Mary's job is not very glamorous. Mary cleans up stuff. She cleans up showers, and she cleans up toilets, and she washes sleeping bags that have been peed in, and uh, has a lot of stress on getting the camp turned around in a timely manner so the next group of folks can come in. And she does this with grace, and with love, and with joy. And she does this with young people who have never served in these kind of ways before, and teaches them how to do that with love and grace and joy and with humor. 
Mary's not somebody that anybody's going to remember 100 years from now. She's not going to make it in the history books. Unless something really drastic happens that none of us are anticipating. But Mary has profoundly affected the world she lives in. Both for the people who know it and for a lot of people who don't. And it seems to me that these are the kind of people who make a big difference towards peace in the world. I would venture to guess that all of us know somebody like Aaron or somebody like Mary. I noticed this week on uh, Noelle Carey's, our, our, our Clerk of Elders Facebook page that she was celebrating uh, a person who'd been a, a teacher in her elementary experience. And that resonated with me. I thought, yep, I have those teachers too. And I wonder if you might take a moment and fill in some of these blanks here, some of these question marks. Who are those people who have been teachers or coaches or friends or mentors or stand-in older siblings? Who are those folks who have influenced us profoundly by their kindness to us, by their presence to us. So just take a moment to, to find, to find one, at least one of those people who has spoken into your life. I'll give you just a second here. And then I advise to just to take a few minutes and with the people just right around you, just briefly name that person and maybe, and maybe just a little bit about who they were. It won't take a real long time to do this, but just take a moment to name to those around you this person who's been influential. Does that make sense? Everybody know what I'm asking? So yeah, take a moment and uh, connect with one another and, and, name, and name that person.
Okay, thanks friends for being willing to share that with a few people. I know we know, I know we know. It's just one of those things we don't stop and do very often. And I've been grateful for the ways that have, folks have shared uh, in different times in prayer or other places, people who've been that influential in the ways that God has worked through them and the way that's completely redirected our lives. Uh, I noticed in the chat, um, Leslie put up that uh, Clyde Parker was a person who changed the trajectory of her life, uh, mostly by asking her to counsel a camp one year. And that opened the possibility in her mind um, that she might do ministry. So you know who to thank or blame, as the case may be. <laughs> I'm going to invite uh, Cole to come up and help me with this next little piece. Um, the Apostles Paul is super clear that ministry is a team sport, that what we do, we do together, that we bring our own stuff. And as I thought about this this morning, um, I was deeply encouraged to, to use visual aids. So Cole's going to help me with this. This is from Corinthians 12. You can easily see how this kind of thing works by looking no further than your own body. Got to let the Zoom folks yeah, see what's going on here. <laughs> your body has many parts, limbs, organs, cells, but no matter how many parts you can name, you're still one body. It's exactly the same with Christ. By means of his one spirit, we all said goodbye to our partial and piecemeal lives. We each used to live independently, call our own shots, but then we entered into a large and integrated life in which he has the final say in everything. Each of us now is part of his resurrection body refreshed and sustained at one fountain, his spirit, where we all come to drink. The old labels we used to identify ourselves with, labels like Jew or Greek, slave or free, are no longer useful. We need something larger, more comprehensive. I want you to think about how this makes you more significant, not less. A body isn't just a single part blown up into something huge. It's all the different but similar parts arranged and functioning together. If foot said, I'm not elegant like hand, I guess I don't belong to this body, would that make it so? If ear said, I'm not beautiful like eye, transparent and expressive, I don't deserve a place on the head. Would you want it removed from the body? If the body was all eye, how could it hear? If all ear, how could it smell? As it is, we see that God has carefully placed each part of the body right where God wanted it. We all have our gifts to use. I'm mindful of how important the gifts we each bring are. I'm mindful how important it is that Mary Kyle does what Mary Kyle does at Twin Rocks. That Aaron did what Aaron did in my life when Aaron did that in my life. And how significant that was. 
And those are my examples. I think y'all carry your examples too. As we continue to be faithful to what God's call is in our ordinary lives and to be peacemakers and light in the world, I want to encourage us to be true to what's naturally in us, what God has made us to be, that we might have joy in being just who we are, bringing the gifts that we have, being the part of the body that we are intended and created to be. And then we might believe that we can bring peace into the world through our faithfulness in our ordinary lives. That we can both work for our own centeredness and also shine the light so that others might clearly see God at work. So let's take some time to listen together. Have some queries and we've also, we're trying something new as far as understanding what we're doing in open worship. So that top piece is the part that we often say. I won't say it today. Trust your literacy. Here are the queries. You can use them or dismiss them as is helpful to you. How are you uniquely called and gifted? Who has shared the light in your life and how did that impact you? Let's take some time to listen, friends.